Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we give you updates and analysis into this incredibly fast-moving impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. In a few minutes, we'll be talking to Washington Post reporter Shane Harris. He's also a national security analyst here at CNN. But first, I'm joined by the man behind CNN's Impeachment Watch newsletter, a must-read, CNN senior writer Zach Wolf. Zach tells me you can go to CNN.com slash impeachment and sign up for the newsletter there. Yes, and please do. Uh, I want to start with you. If you could give us sort of a 30,000-foot view about this week in impeachment, what – I know there are several witnesses coming to the Hill. What are you watching for the most, and where do you see this story moving from where it was to where it will be by the time we get to the end of this week? Well, let me start by saying I have no idea where this story is going because every day seems to bring something new and incredible. And um, it, 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 it continues to, to mystify me that this story sort of evolves in these strange ways. So that said, with that caveat, um, I think the thing that everybody is most anticipating this week is testimony by this gentleman named uh, William Bill Taylor. He is the Charge d'affaires uh, for uh, the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine, a former ambassador there, a career diplomat. Um, but he is the guy who, in the text messages uh, that were released, and, uh, you know, text message, WhatsApp, it's still unclear to me exactly how these guys were talking to each other. But between, um, the, you know, the, him, the uh, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sondland, and the top uh, envoy for Ukraine, uh, Volker, when they were talking to each other, Bill Taylor was essentially saying, um, are you sure that we are going to be trading political influence for military spending? And th- those are direct quotes, but he essentially, it almost felt like he was trying to get on the record. Are you sure that these things that we've been talking about in phone calls uh, that we actually want to do them. And then that yeah, would be it, followed up. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, it certainly seemed in those messages that he was sending up a flare uh, for posterity and for the uh, immediate participants, as you noted, Volker and Sondland, in the conversation that's like, hey, guys, I see a quid pro quo here. Are we are we really doing a quid pro quo here? Right. Exactly. And and then but he got an answer back. He got well, he got an answer back. You know, there would be a call me. Uh, I don't want to talk about this on on text messages right now. Or he would get this very sort of spelled out. Um, the president has been very clear. No quid pro quo. It, it almost felt like somebody was dictating. And we later found out maybe it was President Trump who was dictating um, some of these messages that David, as you know, is not how I talk on te- text messages. <laughs> um, I, I, I use more LOLs and short sentences if you if you could call it that. So it's, it's kind of this weird, um, you know, thing. And Bill Taylor is going to hopefully be able to explain that to these investigators. And then since, as you know, we are not part of these hearings, they're not open to the public and Republicans like to point that out. That will sort of trickle out uh, at some point tomorrow and we'll hear what Bill Taylor had to say. 
You are not the only person waiting for Bill Taylor's testimony, Zach. I want you to hear an exchange between our colleague Jake Tapper on CNN State of the Union yesterday and the Republican congressman from Florida, Francis Rooney, who uh, everyone should have this context as you're listening to this exchange, announced he's not seeking reelection uh, next year. So uh, a Republican who is perhaps a bit more freed up to speak his mind. Uh, here was their exchange yesterday. If Speaker Pelosi were to call a vote tomorrow for launching an impeachment inquiry, not impeachment itself, but just an inquiry to find out what the facts are, how how do you think you'd vote? I'm not 100 percent sure right this second. I want to hear what Ambassador Taylor has to say Tuesday, and I'm hoping to have a chance to hear Ambassador Bolton before any of that would happen, because what I've heard so far is quite troubling. It's quite troubling that we had a rump uh, diplomatic outreach of civilians derogating our paid public servant diplomats. Zach. Not only does he want to hear from Bill Taylor, he also threw out the name John Bolton. To your knowledge, is the former National Security Advisor John Bolton uh, anytime soon planning to be up and testifying before these committees? Uh, he's, uh, you know, after Fiona Hill, his former employee, essentially, at the National Security Council. She was the top uh, Russia official at the White House uh, on policy. After her testimony kind of blew everything up uh, last week. Was it last week? Gosh, these things. You know, it's hard for me to remember sometimes. I believe it was last week. Um, It kind of blew everything up. And she is the one who said that John Bolton referred to what, uh, you know, Gordon Sondland and Mick Mulvaney were doing as a quote unquote drug deal. Um, You know, referring to Rudy Giuliani as somebody who was going to blow everybody up, that he was a hand grenade um, speaking in these sort of Boltonian, um, you you know, uh, hyperbole. Of course, nobody's actually saying there was a drug deal going on. But, and also, uh, according to Fiona Hill, right, John Bolton is the one that said, you got to go tell counsel this. Right. Right. That this had to be uh, made sure that a, a, a lawyer uh, from the national security team was involved in this. Right. So, you know, we had Fiona Hill say that that basically assured that John Bolton has a subpoena coming his way at some point. If, if it even gets that far, maybe he's so spurned by the White House, he'll just pop up and, and, and talk to people. But will um, the White House allow him to testify? Uh, I, th- I think that's going to be a really interesting question because they've had such an expansive view of executive privilege. On the other hand, John Bolton is no longer at the White House, uh, he was shown the door uh, pretty spectacularly. So um, he, if there was going to be somebody who would just ignore the White House and go speak his mind of anybody on earth, that person, I think, would be John Bolton. Um, so I, I, that's has yet to be written. I do think it's interesting when the congressman was referring to he was asked specifically about an impeachment inquiry. He said before he would vote for an impeachment inquiry, he'd want to hear all this testimony well, that's kind of putting the you know cart before the horse. What we're seeing right now, that's the impeachment inquiry. So, uh, you know, I, I do think it's interesting as we start to look for Republican cracks, whether they're starting to turn on President Trump and you hear rumblings here and there about, you know, what they're saying quietly to each other. Um, that was an interesting moment for sure. But, it, you know, from a timeline perspective, this is it, guys. I mean, we're seeing it right now. Yeah, it seems to me you would need a pretty big magnifying glass to find those cracks because there just aren't that many of them in the Republican Party right now. I mean, as you point out, uh, here's a retiring congressman who is uh, clearly 
allowing an open question about possibly being for an impeachment inquiry at some point. Uh, and that's considered like the crack. And as you note, the inquiry is already going on and he wants to hear more. So he still can't get to the place to say, I am for an inquiry, uh, which suggests to me that the cracks are few and far between at, at the moment, uh, even if there is a lot of um, private uh, consternation about this. Before uh, we bring in our guest in the next block, I want to ask you, other than Taylor, what else are you looking forward to this week? Well, I'm one thing I think we're looking for is who is not going to testify. Uh, some Office of Management and Budget OMB officials, we saw the, the acting director of the OMB, Russ Vote, say today that we would not be hearing, or at least it seemed like he said, uh, we wouldn't be hearing from uh, this gentleman, Michael Duffy, who was in charge of sort of, uh, you know, transitioning from the state and the Pentagon, uh, the, the, the withholding the aid. He was pivotal in that process. Uh, it sounds like the OMB will not be um, allowing him to testify. So you see a lot of State Department people testifying, a lot of OMB uh, and White House people not testifying. We're also going to hear, I think, from um, uh, a Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, Laura Cooper. She can kind of maybe, uh, you know, say some of the things that we would not have heard from uh, Vote and, and from Michael Duffy. Uh, so we're starting to look for this paper trail of how the money got held up, how it was kept from Ukraine. Um, are those people going to, you know, provide documents? Um, are they not? Uh, those are kind of some questions I think we have to we have to see. Yeah, obviously, we got two very different stories from acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo over the weekend about just how that aid got held up. Uh, Mick Mulvaney now infamously at that Thursday press conference giving three reasons and then yesterday trying to make us not believe that we saw what we saw and said there were only two reasons and that this DOJ investigation wasn't part of it. Pompeo adamant that no process that he was party to whatsoever ever suggested aid was getting held up for some kind of political ass that that Trump uh, was making. Zach, stay right there. We've got plenty more to talk about with Washington Post reporter Shane Harris. He's going to join the conversation. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. Zach Wolf is still with me here, and we're pleased to welcome Washington Post reporter and CNN national security analyst Shane Harris. Thanks for being here, Shane. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So let me uh, share some reporting from our colleagues Manu Raju and Jeremy Herb uh, coming off of the Hill. It seems that this... uh, timeline that was sort of thrown out there a few weeks ago that they'd like this wrapped up by Thanksgiving uh, doesn't seem all that realistic. Uh, Some Democratic aides uh, and Democrats up on the Hill are saying that this impeachment inquiry could perhaps go deeper into the year uh, well past Thanksgiving uh, because there's they're getting so many leads that they're reporting out of all these uh, interviews. And my question to you is, Shane, as you follow this, is do you sense that this is growing or narrowing? I feel like it's growing. It feels like it's metastasizing in many ways. I mean, there it's it's kind of a classically like if you're an investigative reporter working a story and you go down one avenue and you find three that sort of branch off of it, that's a lot of what we're seeing right now because these 
depositions have yielded so much information. I mean, think back to the original whistleblower's complaint. Yeah, it feels like that we're almost, a long way from Yeah, that. that's, like, that's like a prologue at this point. <laughs> it's all kind of been proven out. And it almost seems like to some degree for the fact pattern, almost irrelevant. It's like he's just another witness in the whole uh, escapade. So it really does have that feeling. And it's not surprising at all to hear from CNN colleagues that this is that this timeline is getting pushed down because why would the Democrats stop now? I mean, some are arguing you've got everything that you need. Go ahead, write the articles of impeachment. But just think about what's come out just in the past week that has made this narrative not only richer, but has given so many more points and much more ammunition to the Democrats. No wonder they want to keep going. And Zach, I know you have questions for Shane, but I want to ask you a political question here, which is, um, does that complicate the politics for the Democrats if it is growing, if it does take longer? I mean, Mitch McConnell says he wanted to be wrapped up with a trial done by Christmas. Uh, if the inquiry is lasting into that time frame, uh, his Senate trial is not likely to happen until uh, next year, an election year. If this thing gets so far away from the phone call, from the complaint, is that does that complicate Democrats in terms of their political goal here? I think everything is so complicated about this that you can't sort of take the politics away from, you know, the investigation itself. And what exactly are you trying to accomplish here? Are you trying to investigate this and see where it leads? Or are you trying to establish that the president committed high crimes and misdemeanors? And there might be a point at which, as Shane suggested, you simply say, this is it. You know, what else are we waiting for? On the other hand, if you feel like there are going to be cracks and that you might get Republican support, maybe that is something you wait for, because then that would send a real message. But, you know, to your point earlier, you need a magnifying glass to see the cracks in the Republican foundation. So that might be uh, wishing for a little bit too much for for Republicans. I have some more process questions that might be down your um, avenue, Shane. Uh, you've been spending some time um, reporting on Rudy Giuliani, on these um, uh, the, these two gentlemen, his associates, um, Soviet-born, one of them born in Ukraine, Lev Parnas, um, arrested on campaign finance uh, violations. It's been interesting to me, this started out as Giuliani uh, trying to get the Ukraine to investigate Hunter Biden, essentially. But now we're hearing more about what might be like business opportunities. Was Giuliani on a political mission or a business mission? Uh, and is that do we know that yet? I think we don't know for sure, but I think the, you're right to point that out. That the the signs seem to be telling us right now that the, Rudy was pursuing maybe two tracks, right? And Rudy has clearly emerged in the past few years as one of these guys who is just sort of a player, right? He's politically in the mix. He's selling consulting services uh, to clients like Parnas and Fruman, uh, where I guess he was advising them on this like anti-fraud company, which actually had fraud in the name. Which I mean, how delicious <laughs> is that? Fraud guarantee. Fraud guarantee. Well, you know, maybe. <laughs> Just get careful what you wish for, right? Um, but yeah, I think what you're right. What we're seeing is like these two guys who he gets kind of hooked up with in business also end up sort of being his Sherpas around Ukraine and connecting him with people that are feeding him information that he is then giving back to the White House about Ukrainian meddling in 2016 and the hidden server. I mean, if we kind of like if we go back to reading that that extraordinary memcon, the memo that the uh, of the phone call with Zelensky that the White House put out, all of these points were 
Trump is talking about CrowdStrike and the server and the Bidens, et cetera. These appear to be things that he's hearing largely from Rudy, who is getting them from people that he's doing deals with in Ukraine and kind of giving them back to his clients. So it just sort of shows you the degree to which Giuliani is kind of running around, dabbling in business, doing the politics and kind of, you know, playing lawyer to the president at the same time that he's, you know, trying to, you know, make a buck, frankly, with these with these shady characters. It's 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 extraordinary and kind of, again, puts Rudy at the center of this whole kind of like tornado that's flying around now. It's like he walked his client right into an impeachment. Yeah, which is astonishing. Uh, there are it seems that the president of the United States was a more captive, receptive audience to Giuliani's uh knowledge about what uh, could be going on in Ukraine than the Secretary of State was, who we learned over the weekend, I think he said, uh, the the document that Giuliani put together for the State Department, he never read Pompeo. He, he never read that. Obviously, if you look at the phone call transcript, it seems the President of the United States knew it chapter and verse of what uh, Giuliani uh, was purporting to have. There was reporting that came out late last night, I think, um, that uh, the Justice Department put out a, a, a statement, the kind of which we don't normally see, which is that, hey, if we knew that Giuliani was being looked into by the Southern District of New York, we wouldn't have been conversing with him about this other business we have, uh, the government has with clients of Giuliani's. Why do you think the Justice Department felt the need to put that out? And didn't that isn't that Donald Trump's Justice Department basically sort of rolling the bus a little bit over Rudy Giuliani? I think the Justice Department, along with that statement, along with the one last week after Mulvaney's press conference where they said, look, if you were conditioning aid to Ukraine for an investigation that we're conducting, news to us, guys, the Justice Department seems to be distancing themselves from this. And, and extraordinary that it's sort of coming back to hurt Rudy, who was a, you know, he ran the Southern District in New York. I mean, he's one of their guys. I am getting the sense that there's a lot of, whether it's DOJ with these statements or even these diplomats, Current and former people, including Gordon Sondland, have gone up to the Hill. Everybody kind of trying to step away from this and say, don't look at me. I was just following orders or we weren't communicating with you about that. Even Mike Pompeo over the weekend starting to kind of almost kind of shrugging at us like, well, if this was happening, I don't know about it. It's, it's amazing the way that people have been walking away from it. And I think that that tells you is they understand how very radioactive this whole thing is. I have found Mike Pompeo's involvement in all of this to be fascinating because he was on the call and very quiet about that. He acknowledged it one time. It was on, it almost seemed at the time as if Trump didn't know that he was on the call. I mean, it, it was very strange. Uh, and then he has sort of somehow, and I don't know how, maybe you have some ideas, kind of kept further back from this than other people in the Trump administration, despite that every time you turn around, he's sort of in the middle of it. Right. And it's, and it's, it's kind of like a tightrope that he's walking, where on the one hand, he is trying to be loyal and keep that access with the president. And Mike Pompeo, I think more than any cabinet member, has that close linkage to the president. He had it when he was CIA director. Now he has it at the state. And at the same time, all of these kind of this drug deal that was being run, right, was utilizing people that are under his direction. His They're yeah. his people, right? And so it, it, he's got to kind of be very careful how he walks that. We've had some reporting at the Post that morale has plummeted at the State Department. People who already saw Pompeo as very much of a political actor viewing him even more that way. And I'm with you, Zach. It's amazing how he just kind of like tries to step back from this, but like, I don't know how long he can keep that up because eventually it's going to come down to what did Mike Pompeo know and when did he know it? My final question for you before we go is we were talking about I was talking to Zach about Bill Taylor earlier. He clearly is the big high profile witness this week. We've already seen the text messages, though. So what 
What more is your sense of, of what legislators want to learn and investigators want to learn up on the Hill from Bill Taylor that they don't already know in black and white? I think a lot of it will be what were you thinking? What was the context around this? You know, when you decided to send that text, did you do it because you suspected there was a quid pro quo or were you genuinely curious? I mean, he can give them so much texture and kind of richness and also potentially talk about what the whole effort was that he was engaged in. Remember, he was on the ground there in Ukraine. He was the senior U.S. official in Kyiv who would be closest to the government and can give that kind of perspective on it. And he's not a career, he's not a political guy. He's a career guy, much like, you know, uh, uh, a, a kind of contrast to Gordon Sondland, who is the person who he's interacting with. He's going to be able to tell a story with that kind of perspective and that career uh, insight that I think could be, you know, add a lot of kind of meat on the bone that we already have. And it's a pretty big bone we've got right yeah, now, to be it, clear. It is. And I get it is the fact that he is a career guy, I guess, that offended his sensibility so much totally. uh, in what we did see in the text. Yeah, and he's calling it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Zach, Shane, thank you both so much for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new podcast every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.